Oh, you guys. It has been over 36 hours now since federal agents first confronted a heavily armed religious cult near Waco. The cult actually called or known as the Branch Davidians is an offshoot of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. The marshals moved in in force tonight. We say marshals, we're not really sure what kind of agents they are. We know for sure that they are federal agents of some sort. Waco, Texas, 1993. Global media is holding the world spellbound during a 51-day siege. They're spinning the tale of a deranged cult leader, David Koresh, and his crazed followers surrounded by armed agents from the FBI and the ATF. The siege culminates in a fiery blaze where the entire compound is burnt to the ground, with 76 men, women and children perishing on the Texas plains. The media and authorities said Waco was a mass suicide, and the world believed them. What really happened? People know they were not told the whole truth. Shine presents Waco, The Inside Story, a podcast series featuring Waco survivor David Thibodeau. My name is Julian Knoll, and along with Andre Rowell, we ask, what have we learned since 1993? Could Waco happen again? Hi, welcome. We're sitting around the table at Mount Carmel with David Thibodeau, Eddie Oliver and Heather Jones. Heather was nine years old at the time of the siege and was one of the 30 children allowed to leave the building during the standoff. She left her father in the compound thinking they would soon be reunited. Weeks later he was killed in the Waco Inferno. This is her story. Heather Jones is joining us. There's a special treat right here. Here we go. You know what? We're going to solve this debate right here, right now. Heather, I'm saying that we're all damaged people out here. Julian says, no, it's an American phenomenon. Y'all making it up. What do you say? I told you, Eddie. No, because I don't want to. I don't want, I don't want to, people to think that what happened makes me damaged. I want to keep that a secret a little bit. Keep it a secret. <laughs> <laughs> but it's because of what the government did. It's not anything else. So. Can we bring Heather a bit closer? Heather, can you come? Can you come closer? It's time to buddy up and yeah, shoulder to shoulder. Yeah. Look, first of all, it's it's a privilege to meet you, Heather. It's really really lovely to meet you. Um, we've heard a lot about you. Uh, David's talked about you. He's written about you. Eddie sings your praises, uh, and it's it's yeah, it's a privilege to meet you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't listen to every everything Eddie says. He's kind of crazy. <laughs> I'm a legend. Eddie's a legend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, we've we've established we've established that Eddie, Ed, you know, Eddie is a is a legend in his own lunchtime. Oh yeah, <laughs> up here. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, we, we're going to need you to come closer to, to up to the microphone. Oh, sorry to keep pushing the point. I'm too um, far. That that's great. That's that's really cool. That's really cool. That's really. Andre, you're much better at opening questions than me. 
You always um, ask. You always ask really nice, friendly questions. I just yeah. only go for the fucking jugular. It scares the shit out of people. And then you can be a little bit organizing sometimes. Oh yeah, I can. I can. I can. I can. I can. I can. Hey, real quick, if you if you don't if you don't mind me flipping the script on on you guys real quick, and then I'll flip you over to Heather, because you you talk about Andre. You know, you have children, right? So I do this when I talk to people on the tours. You know, I, I want you to think about this, Andre. If you were a Branch Davidian, right, and you had your children, and you just watched the previous group of people that came out, these were people that you knew did not participate in the gunfight. These were elderly women, women like Sheila Martin, who covered her son Jamie in a wheelchair and just tried to keep him from being shot. <clears throat> Catherine Madison, who was like in her 60s, who just huddled down in the dog run and tried not to get shot. And you saw these people leave out, and you saw them all go out and be charged with four counts of murder and four counts of conspiracy to commit murder. Knowing that you have your children and knowing that the second you walk out that front door, you're never gonna see them again because that's life in prison for killing four cops and it doesn't matter what you did. Hmm. How anxious would you be to walk out? Yeah. Dead silence. I got him. Dead silence. <laughs> no, I don't know that I would. In in journalism, that's what you call a leading question. Like you knew the answer to that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and it's kind of like it's a boring question, man. Sorry. <laughs> I like you. <laughs> I think um, uh, we've had uh, had a really cool conversation with with Eddie and sort of hearing about his his context for this and and what's really drawn him to, to Mount Carmel. And I think, and with you, there's obviously, I mean, we could talk for hours. Um, but it would be it'd be really interesting on the back on the back of our conversation with Eddie, just hearing about your perspective of Eddie's perspective and what he brings to Mount Carmel as well. And has that sort of, you know, seeing seeing what he brings to it, has that has that shifted anything for you? Has that she just think we have to step out of the room to answer out? <laughs> <laughs> you can be no, like I wouldn't care if she said he's a loser. <laughs> what do you mean, like, like how you being here? Yeah, how, yeah. How was how how has any change in your life? Maybe I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, he got me here. Hmm. Yeah. And he's helped out a lot since he's been here. He gives a lot of people, you know, correct information to where they've only heard what they've heard on TV or on the news. Yeah. Does he help shift things for you? Like if you go back and, you know, we, we spoke about the term damage and, you know, the fact that, uh, that you're not necessarily damaged, but you're you're impacted. You know, you're defined as a person by by your history. Uh, do, do, do people like Eddie and the perspective that they bring and the the helping hand that they bring do they allow a different way for you to to process things? Mm. 
like to think about some of the, we've, we've had some talks at night, just the two of us, where yeah. we talk about those things that make us tick. And, you know, I mean, I, I was on, I, we talked about the suicide and everything, so I was honest about that. So it's like, there's those things that we've experienced in life that, you know, and, and how we react to them. So I, I think what he's asking is, is what kind of impact has interacting with me had on you? I'm not dead. Oh, 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 wow, now you're gonna make me cry. <laughs> no, if, if it wasn't for you being able to get me here and us being, like you being there to help us to get on our feet, we, I don't know, like I, I stress a lot and I think I overthink stuff always and that's always been through my whole life and now I try not to think about everything bad or even when something bad happens because it doesn't get me anywhere being upset or trying to not be here anymore. I try to look at everything in a positive way now. How much does it mean for you to be to be at Mount Carmel? Everything. I, ever since I was forced to leave when I was nine, I've always wanted to come back here, always. I feel like I missed out on my childhood. I missed out getting to be around my family and growing up here. And I feel like it's, it's just like, you know, I, I did miss all those years, but I feel like a kid again, still being here and getting to do the things that I did when I was nine years old. Wow. So it's amazing. Wow. I feel like I picked up where I left off. What What are some of those things? What are some of those things that you do that you that you did as a nine year old? Um, like playing in the lake and going fishing and just roaming around in the woods because the property is so big out here. Uh, having the chickens again and having animals, um, you know, hearing kids playing, even though it's just my kids and, and uh, Kristen's son. <laughs> uh, it's just, I don't know, it feels like it's alive again. Uh, being able to swim in the pool, even though there's snakes and turtles in there, I still like to swim with them. Um, I like to dig in the mud. <laughs> I like to dig in the mud and play with the horses. I like to, I don't know, I just love being around and out here. I love getting dirty and being able to walk the property. And I still, like this is as close as, I, as I'm gonna get to my family. And so me being here on the property is like awesome. I love it. Tell them what it's like when you have to leave to go do an errand or something in town. Um, Every time I leave the property, I feel like like I can't come back or I won't be able to come back. And I feel I feel sad every time I have to leave the property. But when I'm back on the property, I'm happy. What is the what is the future that you see here that you want to be a part of creating and and you want your family to be a part of mm, being out here? Yeah. Um, I just don't want anybody to ever forget. I want to keep it alive. Uh, I want to. I want to keep it going. And as long as you know, I feel like we're on the property that we can't do that. Mm. 
What are, what are some of the other ways do you think that we some of the other ways that we can help keep it alive? Rebuild it. We out of out of anything, I think that would be my biggest goal. Really? Yeah. I'm so glad to hear you say that. It really is. I I miss I miss the building being here too. It's kind of not Mount Carmel without the building. But I think it would be a very good, like to have a museum here. That's the biggest part. But I would like for this to stay as it is, you know. Imagine a tour where you could walk through the whole building. That's what, that's what I wanted. Right. If I won the lottery, that's what I would do. I would rebuild Mount Carmel. Even if it was just a shell, so everybody can get uh, come out and look at it and see what you know we saw and what we lived. Hmm. What's the biggest thing? What do you want them to come away with when when people visit Mount Carmel, get into their cars and leave again? The truth. Yeah, that's actually one thing. I I think all three of us. That's all three of us, everything we talk about when we talk to the public, everything is centered around making sure, I make sure that when I send people off, I always make sure that I tell them, tell people what you saw and heard here and tell them to come here. Mm. Because for far too long, uh, it's been the government narrative. Yeah. And, and most people just, if, if you do more than just a cursory look, the, the stories don't add up. I mean, it, it just, you know, the stories don't yeah. add up, even... Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm sorry to jump in. Um, oh, no, I'm not. Um, <laughs> hey, hey there. Uh, um, when you say you want them to know the truth, from your lips, what, what is the truth? What do, they, what do people really need to know? that everybody out here did not plan on a mass suicide. Everybody out here did not plan on killing their kids and killing themselves. I, that was like the worst thing that I think that they put out there in the news that, you know, these crazy Bible freaks died, killed themselves because of what they believed in. That was not the truth. The whole time I was there, and everybody I talked to, I was seeing David on a daily basis. I never heard anybody talk about killing themselves or, you know, burning the building down. Everybody had bunkered down. We were very strong-willed, and we were going to wait it out. That's what everybody was waiting on. And for people to put out there that, you know, what they heard on the news, that's really, really heartbreaking because that's not what happened. And that's what everybody believes because, you know, you think that the news puts out true stuff and only truth. That's not the truth. They go with something, they even put more into it to make it look worse for their benefit. And I don't think that, you know, we've done and we've tried over the years doing stuff. And, you know, they want to turn around and change our words, you know, put what they want into it or they don't want to put what I actually remembered. That's that's the worst part of it that they don't want to put what I actually remembered you so, want the truth and you're coming to me and talking to me but yeah you won't put my own words out there and so yeah. what so no Eddie shut up so <laughs> Heather this is your chance in your own words what do you want to say 
What do you want to say? You're cutting out. You just cut out. You have to repeat it. Um, so, Heather, what is it that you want to say in your words? What, what you know? What are people suppressed, or what are people not saying, or allowing you to say? Um, just everything that I just said. Like you know, they said that everybody in there killed themselves on purpose, or they knew they were going to die. Why didn't you know they come running out with children? Well. I was nine and I was forced to leave. I didn't want to leave because I knew once I walked out that front door that I was gonna get shot in the head. I would have rather been there with my family and went through whatever they had to go through with them because I felt a lot of guilt for not being there. So I'm always gonna feel that. And it's really hard that the only perspective or whatever that people see is what they hear from the news. And a lot of people don't even want to hear because of how they've made us look all these years. And that's just, we're not those people. Like, you know, just because David Crush did some things that were bad, it shouldn't, we all shouldn't be held accountable for it. Thank you. We'll, we'll make I'm glad sure. I shut up. We'll, we'll make sure people hear that. And that is the whole point of this series, is we want your voices, your version, unfiltered and uncensored and, and held as something sacred. That do you see, do you see Waco repeating itself in any way in the world now in other yeah. forms? Yeah. What do you notice? What do you see? Uh, I see it happening over and over and over everywhere. Um, I just, it just showed the government that they can do anything they want and they can hide it and cover it up because, you know, way down the line from, from the ATF that were out here to, you know, Janet Reno and all them, it never had to go this way. They just wanted to show their power and who they are. I think they should all get fired and go through the same thing that they did to other people. It's, it's horrible that you can kill a bunch of people and you can get away with it and there's no consequences. But for me, I'm gonna live with this for the rest of my life because I don't have my father. He was the, not there to see me have my kids. He wasn't there to see me get married. I lost my whole family to this and nobody's being held accountable and I don't understand why. Everybody should be held accountable for what they do wrong. And just because this is our government, they don't think that they should be held accountable or they come forward and try to meet me and tell me that they're sorry. To me, that's showing that they're guilty. And why can't you just be a man and come out and say, yeah, I killed children. Yeah, I did wrong. You know, I should be punished. You should not come to the person you killed their family and be like, oh, well, let me let me just tell you sorry for what we did. That doesn't make me feel any better. None. And if they, I hope they can sleep at night for what they did. Did they apologize to you? Yeah, they've tried. Oh. Um, one of the ATF agents that was out there, I don't know if it was Byron Sage or... No, it was him or it was one of the negotiators or something. 
I've had two of them come and try to meet me when I was doing a documentary. And I basically told them, like, if you bring him in here, because I did not know they were there. I said, if you bring them in here, I will jump on them and kill them. I said, there's no, why would they want to apologize to me? Like, that doesn't do anything for me. Nothing. And if they're apologizing, that's admitting they're wrong. And then they've used this throughout their life to get money or to get other stuff yet I'm still sitting here and I've never received anything from them killing my father. Even though money is not gonna bring him back, you know, I still haven't gotten anything. So it's pretty, it's pretty crappy. Thank you. Thank you. Not even your day in court. We didn't even get a day nope. in court. I didn't even get to go to the funeral because after after everybody like my mom told them that you know you killed them you should have to bury them and pay for it then they cut off and blocked off the whole uh they blocked off the whole cemetery so we couldn't even have a funeral for anybody but what also gave them that right just because they were upset and mad at the adults that were in here. That gives you a right to not let children go to their own family's funeral. Thank you. Thank you. And now I'm getting angry again. It pisses me off. No, it just, I hate hearing how sorry they are, how sorry they are, how how what they did, they hated what they did. They were just forced to do it. But yet, they never, they never once tried to stop and said, hey, I'm not gonna kill any kids. I'm not gonna treat these kids. Like laughing at us, saying, you know, ruining the cars. The more they got mad at our parents, the more they did to us. You know, we were sitting at the Methodist home when Mount Carmel caught on fire. And they just were laughing and saying, well, their parents didn't love them enough, so they killed themselves. Like, that has stuck with me all these years. And I cannot even forget that. And to this day, I do wonder if my dad even did love me just because of those comments. Like, they were horrible. They, they, they treated us like we were little dogs, like we didn't know anything. All we knew was the Bible. We didn't, we didn't know what candy was. We didn't know what sodas were. They said we would, they would laugh at us because they said we'd go in the bathroom and flush the toilets over and over again. Like just from the very beginning to the very end, that's how they treated us. And it's, it's sad. Like they keep talking about how they were trying to help us and they were, oh, I was with this child. I was with that child. No, because you've, you've never asked us what they did to us, why we were in there. Like from the time we came out, how they did to us. They want to act like they're heroes. They're not heroes, they're murderers. That was good, that was, that was good. You got me tearing up, it's true. Look, I'm sweating so hard because of that. I think this is actually um, where we've where we've ended on here is a really, I think it's a really powerful place and it's springboard onto the next 
on to the next episode as well. <laughs> <laughs>